Radio Orbit, exploring the secrets of everything on KOPN 89.5 FM, Columbia. Sunday, October 24th, 2004. Thanks to my man, Ernest, for handing things over to me here. We had a little bit of a mix-up. We weren't quite sure what was going on with the uh, daylight savings time. And for a few minutes there, we actually thought that daylight savings time was going to be turned back uh, tonight. So it would actually only be quarter after one right now. But it's actually not until next Sunday, the last Sunday of October is when uh, daylight savings time changes here in North America. So that was something that we both just learned and verified to make sure. So anyway, we'll be turning back the clocks an hour next week. 
on uh, Sunday, so I'll make sure that I don't come in here an hour early next Sunday like I almost did tonight. Uh, in any case, sorry for the mix-up. We're about 15 minutes behind, but we'll catch up here real fast. We've got an interesting program lined up for everybody tonight. My guest uh, coming up at the top of the hour, actually probably about an hour from now, is Joseph Chilton Pierce. Uh, this is not a live interview, though. It's an interview that I did with Joseph just about a week and a half ago. And um, uh, if you're not familiar with Joseph Chilton Pierce and the work that he's done over the years, he is a, um, an expert in the field of child brain development, human potential, human development, and uh, consciousness studies, the connection between the mind, the brain, and the heart. Joseph Chilton Pierce has been a, a groundbreaker in the uh, area of human development and human potential for over 30 years, and we had an opportunity to talk with him a couple weeks ago, and it was absolutely fascinating conversation, and I'm going to share that with you guys in about an hour here. Uh, so um, if you're up right now and uh, can't sleep or... Uh, you um, uh, want to hang around and listen to the program, that would be greatly appreciated. In, in fact, tonight, uh, I would advise, especially anybody out there, if you have children, if you have children in the house, uh, young children or old children, uh, older children, uh, this would be a very beneficial uh, discussion for you guys to listen to. Joseph Chilton Pierce, as I say, for many years has been a groundbreaker uh, in uh, in these fields. And uh, today, as an older man, um, nearly 80 years old now, um, none of that has changed. Uh, Joe Pierce has some incredible information that he's going to share with you guys tonight. And if you have children, like I say before, <clears throat> uh, very possibly an important important uh, discussion and you might uh, find out some real interesting things tonight from Joseph Chilton Pierce so we've got that coming in about an hour before that we'll do space weather update we'll uh, talk about uh, some other stories that are in the news and um, well we'll just do radio orbit like we always do been an interesting week for me it was uh, uh there was a great show down at uh, at Mojo's on Wednesday night. I worked the Tab Benoit show down there. Lots of people out and uh, checking out Tab Benoit and his his band playing uh, playing some Cajun blues guitar from down there in Louisiana. They were up here in town. That was a great show and uh, some shows tonight. It's always interesting to come down here on a Saturday night. Tonight, not a whole lot going on downtown. Actually, it was pretty quiet when I drove in. Probably has something to do with the. Uh, football game earlier today unfortunately the tigers weren't able to hold on today and get a win for homecoming but uh well they did the best they could i guess and uh, the world continues to turn but it's a long day for everybody here in columbia and i know things got started real early in the morning and uh tend to go all day and all night but uh, uh got the wind taken out of uh out of it a little bit a little bit earlier so things kind of chilling out uh, outside right now in downtown columbia and you're listening to 89.5 FM, KOPN, 89.5 FM. Let's see if I can repeat that one more time. 89.5 FM, KOPN, Mid-Missouri source for in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. It's more than radio. It's community radio, and it's also the home for Radio Orbit. Coming to you every Sunday from 2 to 5 a.m. All right, uh, let's see. What else do we want to talk about uh, tonight? Upcoming guests, uh, like I said, tonight is Joseph Chilton Pierce. In uh, in a week, we got a hot, we got a Halloween special coming up. We're going to talk with Kent Stedman from Cyberspace Orbit, 
next week, and we'll be doing that show live from Seattle. Kent will be with us for a couple hours from 3 o'clock until 5 o'clock in the morning next week, and we'll be talking about ghosts and death and anything else that might be, uh, that might be fitting for a Halloween night. So that'll be really cool. The following weekend after that, we have a guest, again, going to be a live show from Hawaii, from the big island of Hawaii, and my guest will be Dr. Michael Heisen. Dr. Heisen is a marine biologist, a Ph.D. marine biologist who uh, does incredible work on the islands uh, of Hawaii with uh, cetacean uh, species, dolphins and whales. And we've got an incredibly interesting show uh, that I'm very excited about to uh, bring to you in two weeks with Dr. Michael Heisen, and we'll be talking about dolphins and communication uh, between dolphins and between dolphins and humans and uh, the uh, healing capabilities that dolphins have uh, apparently are now showing, uh, again, in laboratory studies as, uh, with uh, children and others, and just some amazing things that are going on with the uh, with the dolphin and whale studies that Dr. Tyson is or Dr. Heisen is doing out there in Hawaii. So we'll do a live show with Dr. Michael Heisen from uh, the Sirius Institute in Hawaii, and that'll be coming up in about two weeks. I was uh, uh, on a cloud nine yesterday, as a matter of fact. I interviewed Dennis McKenna. And uh, the interview that we did will be aired on a program at a later date, probably the week after that Michael Heisen interview, so probably three weeks from now or something like that. But uh, for those of you, uh, for those of you not familiar with Dennis McKenna, Dennis is the uh, is half of a, a team of brothers. The other half consisted of uh, Dennis's brother Terrence, and uh, throughout the. 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s, Dennis and his brother Terrence uh, were both very influential and, uh, and involved in studying hallucinogenic plants and psychoactive drugs and substances. And uh, he has, uh, Dennis has a tremendous amount of information to share with you guys on that particular topic. Again, he is a Ph.D ethnobotanist and ethnopharmacologist who's been uh, published in more journals of pharmacology and other uh, professional journals and magazines and papers. Uh, he's been around for a long, long time and is still doing tremendous work today at the Hefter Institute, uh, the Hefter Research Institute, uh, doing work with, with these substances and uh, looking at the way that they affect the human system and how they can be used to benefit the humans, uh, the human being. So, anyway, Dennis McKenna coming up in uh, just a couple of weeks, and uh, tough to talk uh, too deeply about what Dennis and I went into yesterday. But uh, he's a pretty serious guy, and uh, real, real amazing information. Anytime you talk to uh, uh, to Dennis or Terrence, of course, Terrence passed away now nearly five years ago. Uh, but uh, Dennis continuing him and his brother's work, albeit if it's by himself right now, but uh, doing a tremendous job, and we look forward to bringing that interview with Dennis McKenna to you in just a couple of weeks, so anyway, that's going to be great. All right, what else do we have uh, coming up? Um, let's do a couple things real fast. We'll give you the email address and the website address. Uh, any questions, comments, concerns, ideas for future programs, feedback, anything like that, you can always get a hold of me at Orbit Radio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D. 
R-A-D-I-O at AOL.com. That's OrbitRadio at AOL.com. Uh, you can check us out on the web at www.RadioOrbit.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. Just one O in the middle there, RadioOrbit.com. And if you want to get me on the phone, uh, the number in the studio here is area code 573-443-8255. I take that back, 443-8255 is the number. If you actually want to get on the air, I may actually open up the phone lines a little bit later after that interview uh, with Joseph Chilton Pierce is, uh, uh, has been completed and you can call me with your comments or questions about it. Um, the uh, phone number in the studio actually is area code 573-874-5676. That's 874-5676. And um, if uh, you're not in the 573 area code, you can get us over here at one 800 895 Five six seven six. Okay, so uh, check us out on the uh, on the web radioorbit.com. Just one O in the middle there. Send me an email at orbitradio at aol.com. In the meantime, we'll get uh, a little music going here, and I'll be back in a minute. We'll do space weather and talk about some other stories, and then we'll have uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce in about forty five minutes. This is Poe on Radio Orbit KOPN. La, da, 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 da. Hello, hello.
2.30 in the morning on October 24th, 2004. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. I want to say a quick thank you to uh, the businesses and individuals that supported KOPN in our pledge drive a couple of weeks ago. In particular, I want to say thanks to Main Squeeze down there on, uh, on uh, East Broadway. And uh, they've done a great job of supporting the radio station, underwriting the station, and um, lots of other businesses around town, too. So if you donated and uh, are helping KOPN stick around on the air, thank you very much. We appreciate it, and uh, your, um, uh, your donations are, are well, well spent. So thanks again very much. All right, uh, you're listening to Radio Orbit. Let's do space weather here real fast. Um, we're a little bit behind tonight, uh, so we'll try to catch up real fast here. All right. Um, uh, as uh, you know, we always talk about the sun on Radio Orbit, and um, uh, the sun has been pretty quiet for the last month and a half or so, and maybe even two months, but things are starting to get interesting again. There's a sunspot area called number 684, uh, where yesterday that particular sunspot, 684, was barely visible. Today it's five times bigger than the Earth, and uh, it is growing remarkably fast. And uh, when a uh, sunspot area evolves so rapidly the magnetic fields can get uh, unstable and uh, cause coronal mass ejections or solar flares and they have um, sort of a, a greater probability of doing those sorts of things when the sunspot is evolving real rapidly like this particular one we're talking about is so we're going to keep our eye on sunspot group 684 uh, because uh, there's a whole lot of activity going on right now, and that, that particular sunspot 
uh, and group of sunspots is right in the middle of the disk right now, uh, what we call geo-effective. So if it were to launch any sort of uh, uh, flares or ejections from there, they uh, might possibly be earth-effective so or geo-effective like we talk about. So we'll keep an eye, our, our eye on uh, number uh, number 684. And if you remember, um, uh, actually we weren't on the, on the air doing this last year, but uh, a year ago, almost to the day, we had uh, the most incredible activity that's ever been recorded uh, coming from the sun. And last year, at the end of October, there were a number of gigantic flares, one in particular that went completely off the scale. They, changed, they basically uh, uh, had, had no way to really record how powerful the flare actually was. The, uh, the flare was an X-class flare, um, but uh, it peaked on the X uh, on the X class scale, so we don't really know how big it was. But it uh, it blew all the monitors, and uh, anyway, that was just one. But there was a tremendous amount of real, real uh, um, wild solar activity last year, right about this time. So uh, there are cycles like we talk about, although the solar cycles don't seem to quite be uh, paying attention to what the scientists say they should be doing. Solar maximum was supposed to be uh, in the year 2000 and 2001, uh, but since then, the last four years, we've had um, a continuation of very, very strong solar activity. And um, although we've had a break for about the last month and a half or so, that uh, uh, could come back at any time, and certainly the sunspots, uh, if they're any indication of what's going on, we do have some things that might be getting a little bit more interesting on the sun over the next few days and the next couple weeks. So we'll keep our eye on that. Um, sunspot 687 is also rolling around the disk. It's sort of on the far side right now, on the east side of the, uh, the east limb of the sun. Uh, but both of these areas are potential areas of high activity and uh, large flares and CMEs. So. We'll keep our eye on that stuff. And um, in the back of my head, I always keep saying over the last few weeks that the uh, uh, the information and the uh, knowledge that was shared to me by a Native American elder friend of mine from a number of years ago who is no longer with us always makes me uh, take note of the winter of 2004 because Grandfather Silo Black Crow was very clear uh, when he told me three years ago that uh, beginning in November 2004, uh, that things would be changing considerably on planet Earth and that uh, they would be things that we would no longer be able to ignore. So as we're clo- closing in on November 2004, only a, uh, only a week away now, um, I certainly have that uh, in the back of my mind. So we'll watch things on the sun real closely and, uh, and just see, see how, things, uh, how things evolve from there. Um, sunspot numbers. I was going to talk about sunspot numbers and how we actually uh, uh, how we actually sort of calculate by looking at the sun how many sunspots there actually are at any given time and and how by that number we can sort of tell what's happening on the sun whether we're in solar minimum or solar maximum or in between or those sorts of things. But uh, we don't have a whole lot of time, so I'm going to sort of uh, uh, jump over that tonight. It's something we can cover on another program, um, and I'll just make a note here to talk about sunspot numbers maybe next week. Uh, we'll do a quick update on Mount St. He- uh, Mount St. Helens. Um, and uh, uh, don't forget that uh, when I talk about this geologic activity and volcanic activity, uh, the solar activity is directly related to those things, too. We have direct evidence now that the sun is uh, a factor uh, one of many factors, certainly, that is uh, that has to be taken into account when we look at 
earthquake and volcanic activity. So uh, the sun, because of the way it affects the magnetic fields uh, of uh, the moon and the earth and all of the planets, um, the magnetic field is directly related to uh, some of these uh, phenomena that we see happening underground geologically. So, uh, so that's why I include these uh, these updates uh, on the earthquakes and uh, and volcanoes. I include those sometimes when we're talking about space weather. So, anyways, uh, Mount St. Helen, Mount St. Helens in um, out in Washington State, the the lava dome is still rising in that mountain, and uh, really not a whole lot to say other than we're watching it closely. There's no way to tell if and when it will erupt. Um, it's possible that uh, the pressure inside that volcano will keep increasing, which is obviously happening right now. That's what we're seeing with the lava dome raising. We're seeing still uh, tremors and earthquakes around that area. Um, but, uh, again, we have no way of knowing if there might be a, a large eruption or when that might happen. So we're just going to have to keep watching. Um, it is uh, interesting to note that earlier today, or I guess yesterday on Saturday, uh, there was a powerful earthquake in Japan, uh, an earthquake that registered 6.9 on the Richter scale and uh, a number of aftershocks that had hit uh, Japan and right around the uh, the capital of Tokyo there. And there were a number of people who were killed. There was a train derailment. Um, when I got the information, it was just a couple hours ago. And so uh, I don't know if the news has developed or if we have any more information on that, but certainly a large earthquake for a major metropolitan city, a 6.8 or a 6.9 earthquake there in Japan. And um, we might uh, make a note that uh, um, one of the most powerful series of quakes that we saw up here in, um, in North America in quite a few years, I think, uh, I think it's probably been 30 or 40 years since we had anything bigger than this series, but that, that started uh, two years ago. Um, Right now, it was actually two years ago today or yesterday, October 23rd, um, where we had uh, a 6.7 quake and uh, and then a 7.9 quake, um, which were both up in Alaska, if I remember correctly. Uh, so, uh, as I say, we are in the middle of these cycles, and cycles are uh, things that repeat themselves. So, um, we'll have to keep uh, we'll have to keep watching this because uh, the uh, earthquake activity that we're seeing in Japan, again, uh, because of the way all this stuff is connected under the surface of the earth, uh, that could be directly related to uh, uh, other earthquake activity around the globe or volcanic activity as well. So uh, so, that, so that's the deal. We'll um, keep our eye on uh, the earthquake monitors at the USGS, and we will also keep our eyes on the sun. And in the meantime, we will uh, listen to... Uh, a little bit of music by the Blood Oranges. This is uh, from the CMJ, uh, one of the CMJ albums called Certain Damage from a few years ago.
That was the crying tree. The crying tree from uh, a band called the Blood Oranges. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. It's about 2.45 a.m. on October 24th, 2004. Got Halloween coming up next weekend. Got elections coming up in a week and a half. Be glad when that's all over with. And uh, what else do we got going on? Well, we have an interesting story here. Uh, I don't know if anybody listening is familiar with the story of Barney and Betty Hill. A story from nearly 40, actually over 40 years now. Barney and Betty Hill were uh, a couple uh, who were about the first major story that uh, actually got any press or any attention in the mainstream media. And Barney and Betty Hill were, like I say, the uh, one of the first couples to publicly come out and uh, and make a claim that they had a close encounter with an unidentified flying object. Well, um, Betty Hill died last week, and she was a neat lady, so we're going to read a little bit of uh, a little story about Betty Hill, and we'll do a little retrospective on their story here real fast. So, let's see, this is... Uh, uh, a woman from, or a uh, story from Portsmouth, uh, Oregon. A Portsmouth woman who helped bring the topic of life on other planets out of its particular closet in the 1960s died Sunday of cancer. She was 85 years old. Although not everyone believed Betty Hill's story of alien abduction had opened a national dialogue on the possibility of unidentified flying objects, and she has been called the Grand Dame or the Grandmother of UFOlogy or Ufology as some people call it. Um, as the story has been told, uh, Betty Hill and her husband Barney were driving home from a Canadian vacation in 1961 when they saw a light moving in the sky. As it moved closer, they saw that it was some sort of an aircraft and Barney saw figures moving inside the object. The object moved directly over their car, according to Betty, and they heard a sound like a tuning fork before they grew drowsy. The next thing they knew when they regained consciousness, they found themselves near Ashland, New Hampshire, with no memory of the previous two hours. Now, through hypnotherapy, the couple remembered being taken on board the craft and undergoing tests before taking a tour of the vessel. Betty was shown a star map, which she later drew, uh, which matched closely uh, a cluster of previously unknown stars that were discovered many years later in the 1970s. Uh, and that uh, was one of the most compelling parts of this story, was that the star map uh, actually turned out to be accurate. Um, in any case, uh, uh, were, were the, the story goes on to say, were they fakes? At the time of the abduction, an unidentified flying object was picked up on the radar at Peace Air Force Base in Newington. Shiny circles about the size of silver dollars appeared on the surface of the couple's dark, uh, of the couple's car's trunk. The missing two hours have never been accounted for, and perhaps most importantly, the Hills' separate accounts never wavered under hypnosis or otherwise. Uh, they remained remarkably alike regardless of uh, uh, when they told the story and whether they were uh, conscious or whether they were under uh, uh, under hypnosis. The adventure brought media attention to the postal worker and his social worker wife. They appeared on national television. Uh, John Fuller documented their experience in his book, Interrupted Journey. 
The former Look magazine published a two-part excerpt of the book in 1966. Uh, Interrupted Journey became a TV movie in 1975 with James Earl, jo- uh, James Earl Jones actually playing Barney and uh, Estelle Parsons playing Betty Hill. After Barney died in 1969, Betty continued to travel and speak on her experiences. After visit, uh, visiting several continents, she retired from public life in 1991. Peter Davenport of Seattle, Washington, the director of the National UFO Sighting and Registration Center, said he was saddened to learn of Hill's death, and I would add that I am saddened as well. Betty Hill, although she was uh, very uh, uh, popular for this particular UFO story, she was also a really neat and a very uh, compassionate and uh, a woman with a real big heart. Um, Peter Davenport goes on to say, I consider her and her husband pioneers in the UFO movement. He said in a phone interview, the hills were salt of the earth people, he added, and, uh, that was, um, and that was what made them credible to an otherwise skeptical public. They were credible, common sense people, he said. He also said they were the first to make their experience public and document it with interviews. They are to the abduction of, uh, to the, the, the hills are to the abduction phenomenon what Lindbergh was to ocean flying, he said. They were brave enough to step forward and make public the facts of their alleged interactions with aliens, he said. Peter Jeremia of Rye, director of New Hampshire MUFON, that's the Mutual UFO Network in New Hampshire, agreed. Before the hills, the UFO movement was considered the area of a fringe element, kooks, he said in a phone interview. Uh, of course, a lot of, uh, a lot of that is still considered kooky, unfortunately. Um, uh, and certainly some of it is kooky, but to call it kooky without investigating it uh, is kooky in and of itself. So, anyway, um, uh, the story goes on to say a few more things, but... Um, uh, but Betty Hill was a tremendous woman. She was a tremendous asset to the state of New Hampshire. Um, New Hampshire. She did a lot of great work with young children, uh, and she was a wonderful person, uh, regardless of whether her story uh, was or was not um, true in the way that we uh, the way that we call things true or not, which is beginning to get more and more difficult to determine what the truth is uh, and what the truth isn't. So anyway, Betty Hill, rest in peace. And uh, to your husband, Barney, who passed a long time ago, I hope you guys are chilling out together over the Rainbow Bridge (laughs) or something like that. So anyway, Mike Hagan, Radio Orbit. We'll be back in a few minutes. This is uh, Fire Lake. Tragically Hip on KOPN 89.5 FM.
tragically hip from music at work and that was fire lake on radio orbit kopn 89.5 fm it's just about three o'clock maybe a minute or two a minute or two beforehand um we'll take care of some business here do a little bit more uh news and then we'll get to that interview with joseph chilton pierce in just a few minutes and again, if you're awake and if you have children in particularly, please stick around and listen to that uh, discussion that I had with Joe Pierce. It's a great, uh, great conversation and lots of real valid, pertinent, important information for uh, you and your children. Okay, I wanted to mention uh, one other thing. We talked about the pledge drive and we said thanks real fast, but uh, uh, as another thank you, KOPN is hosting a, uh, a thank you for your support party at Mojo's on November 6th. That's going to be sort of a happy hour deal from 6 to 8 p.m. That's a Saturday. And uh, we're going to have a a singer-songwriter guest there for you, Vic Chestnut, and that'll be an interesting experience one way or the other for you to see Vic Chestnut. Uh, so check out singer-songwriter Vic Chestnut. Uh, if you uh, were a, uh, a returning or a new member to KOPN, we're having this party on, uh, on like I said, November 6th. Your latest KOPN membership letter will qualify you for a CD or a book of your choice the night of the show. So not only do you get into the show, you also get a book or a CD just by bringing that letter in that shows that you pledged. And uh, there's more information at the website here at the station, kopn.org, uh, or also at uh, Mojo's uh, website, and that's mojoscolumbia.org. So uh, check that out, Vic Chestnut, uh, Vic Chestnut, November 6th. Also, uh, I want to talk to, let's see, mention this real fast. This is a, the election issue special. special. Uh, only on KOPN, Columbia 89.5, will you be able to tune, to tune into Pacifica's radio series, Swinging Into Action, Election Issues 2004. That's from 1 to 2 p.m. Monday through Friday, October 18th through the 29th. It was going on last week, and it's continuing this week. Again, from 1 to 2 p.m., Monday through Friday. Uh, this is an important election series, and it will preempt our regularly scheduled programs uh, for those dates. Uh, there will be specials on uh, lots of different things, but, uh, uh, for example, there's a town hall meeting on gay marriage and civil rights coming up on Friday, October 22nd. That's going to be moderated by Amy Goodman, uh, of course, Amy Goodman from Democracy Now!, and that's hosted by KGNU up in Boulder, Colorado, my old stomping grounds up there. Um, and also there's a, uh, on the 25th, there is a state of emergency unconventional readings with Salman Rushdie, Lori Anderson, and other pen writers hosted by, by uh, WBAI in New York. So check in, uh, uh, check in with KOPN for the rest of the week at 1 o'clock for those election issues and the specials being brought to you by Pacifica. Okay, so, uh, okay, top of the hour, KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri Source, in-depth news, diverse talk, music of the world. Uh, more than radio, community radio, serving Columbia, Murray, New Broomfield, or New Bloomfield, uh, Clark, Centralia, Fayette, Kingdom City, Tipton, Tibets, and points around mid-Missouri. This is Mike Hagan. I'm your host on Radio Orbit every week from Sunday until Sunday, 2 a.m. to 5 a.m. And tonight, my guest is Joseph Chilton Pierce, coming to you from a taped interview that I did a couple weeks ago. We'll get to Joe in just a few minutes here. Um, I wanted to mention one other thing when we were talking about space weather. I neglected to mention the uh, full moon that will be uh, 
showing itself on Wednesday, the 27th of October. And uh, this will be an interesting full moon because it will also be in the midst of a lunar eclipse. So uh, the moon will be uh, appearing to be red like a blood moon on Wednesday, the 27th and the 28th of October because the moon will be floating through the shadow of the Earth out there in space. And uh, it'll be a real interesting full moon. Uh, I call it the blood moon, too. So anyway, check that out Wednesday and Thursday, okay? Uh, we just uh, did a little story on Betty Hill and the uh, abduction story that her and her husband, Barney, reported that they had in 1961, and Betty died a week ago, so we did a nice little uh, uh, retrospective on her and her story. And again, regardless of whether you buy into any of that stuff, Betty was a real nice lady, and uh, sad to see her go. She was doing a lot of real, real, real good things. Uh, for uh, for her community, and that's what KOPN is doing, trying to do good things for you guys and uh, for our community. So, um, we are going to uh, start with an interview here that I did with a gentleman whose name is Joseph Chilton Pierce. Joseph Chilton Pierce is uh, a internationally renowned expert in the areas of child development, human potential, brain, and neurological development in children. He's written a number of books, including uh, Magical Child and most recently a book called The Biology of Transcendence, which is a fantastic, uh, a fantastic book. Um, anyway, I, I talked to Joe for an hour and 15 minutes or so <clears throat> just a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I'm going to air that interview uh, with him now. There's a couple of breaks in it at about, uh, uh, at about the 20-minute mark. And at about the 40-minute mark, uh, so if you want to anticipate that, you can. But uh, other than that, I'm going to play it pretty much straight through. And uh, again, I'll mention it one more time. If uh, if you have children, uh, this is a uh, in particular uh, something that you might uh, be interested in listening to. Uh, Joe is a real interesting guy, and he's an older gentleman now. And I certainly hope to have an opportunity to talk to him again in the future. Um, but uh, for now, uh, we've got him here tonight. On Radio Orbit, KOPN 89.5. In the meantime, uh, I'll be here in the station uh, playing this, so give me a call if anybody would like to uh, call and say hi and let me know that you're listening and what you think of the program, what you think of of my show with Joe Pierce uh, tonight. So the number here in the studio is uh, 573-874-5676, 1-800-895-5676. That's 874-KOPN, 1-800-895-KOPN. And uh, after the interview, uh, I think I'll open up the phone lines uh, on the air. That number is 573-443-TALK, 443-8255. That'll be in about an hour and a half if you want to give me a call and let me know about uh, uh, what you thought. So here you go, Radio Orbit, KOPN, Joseph Chilton Pierce, a treat for everybody listening. Check it out. Welcome back to Radio Orbit. My name is Mike Hagan. I'm your host, as always, every Sunday morning. And tonight, my guest is Joseph Chilton Pierce. Mr. Pierce is the author of many books, including Crack in the Cosmic Egg, The Magical Child, Evolution's End, and most recently, The Biology of Transcendence. 
Mr. Pierce has done a tremendous amount of work over the last 30 to 35 years on the awakening and the unfolding of intelligence in the human being. He's a very important man, and the research that he's done has been astounding and has affected me greatly in my own personal life, and I'm very pleased to bring him to you tonight. And we'll be talking about intelligence and human potential and uh, brain development in children and these sorts of things. So without, uh, without further delay, I'd like to bring Joseph Chilton Pierce on the air. Joseph, very pleased to have you on Radio Orbit tonight. Thanks for being here. Well, thanks for having me, Mike. It's a privilege. Well, it's a privilege to talk to you, and um, <laughs> very, very pleased to have you on the program. Um, Joe, uh, you've been uh, doing the work that you've been doing for quite a, quite a long time now, and you've got a, a, a huge library of publications, and you've spoken all around the world, and uh, there are a lot of interesting things that have come out of your research, but before we get into it, I'd like to do just a real short uh, background uh, uh, framework, just to let people know sort of where you came from and how, how you got involved in all this stuff to begin with, and then we'll get into the meat of it and start talking about the brain and some of these other phenomenon that, we, that we're so interested in. Well, my interest in children came from two sources. One thing was a pretty clear recollection of my own childhood. Um, a treme- tremendously happy childhood up till about age seven, and then being put in school. <laughs> the, right. the abrupt and, and dramatic shift that that was, a, a, a traumatic, a real trauma. And then the, the various changes and stages of development, which I was aware of. The, a child can really be quite aware of where they stand in relation to their environment and world. And uh, then uh, bringing up four children after their mother died. Uh, um, their mother died when they, the four were fairly young, um, age four to 12. Wow. And um, that made me very much aware of what goes on in child's life. As a single parent, I, I, I really, my eyes were opened on levels that they wouldn't have been uh, had I... Uh, had a partner from those two sources and and watching the development of my own children I became interested in all the terrible disasters I was creating all the things I was doing wrong and so forth and um, so I started a number of years ago pretty pretty intense uh, looking into child development and the development of intelligence in general it's a fascinating subject because it it's new all the time. I, I give workshops nearly every weekend on this. That's why I'm hoarse right now. Uh-huh. Um, and and the, the subject matter, while the basic framework stays the same, the subject matter is continually expanding. And you take the, the, the question of the development of intelligence from conception on, you're talking about the whole of human life. Right. It, it embraces pretty much everything. Okay, well that's a that's a good uh, that's a good little framework so people know at least um, why you were kind of getting involved in this stuff a long time ago. But boy, it sh- it sure sent you on a on a, on a path and and really uh, you really discovered some amazing things along that way. Why don't we, um, uh, if you don't mind, let's talk a little bit about the brain and how the human brain is actually set up so we can. Uh, uh, so people can have a little bit of understanding when we get deeper into some of these phenomenon about why it works with some people and why it doesn't with others and, and how the structure of the brain actually uh, defines all these things. Well, I would say, first of all, <clears throat> the, um, there are two big discoveries. One is the evolutionary structure of our brain, the fact that we have in our head four different brains Mm-hmm. formed over different evolutionary periods of time. Okay. And um, we, so we really 
we inherit, our heritage, are all the brain systems just about that have ever been developed from reptilian, old mammalian, new mammalian, and finally the prefrontal cortex, which is uh, the latest edition of evolution. It's only about 40,000 years ago, brand new uh, on, in, in uh, evolutionary development. And the fact that these are designed by nature to unfold in neat sequential order from the time of conception on. And that in itself explains a great deal that you can't, you can't rush the unfolding of nature's evolutionary structure of the brain. And our attempt to do that has really caused a great deal of trouble in children and in our society. Hmm. Hey, Joseph, let me ask you a question. You mentioned that the evolutionarily, that in our own brain, our brain is comprised of these four four separate brains that that uh, include the reptilian, mammalian. But when when you say that, when you say that they include those previously uh, developed brain structures, what do you mean by they include them? Is 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 all the history of the planet? I mean, is it is it all encapsulated inside these things? Well, you could you could say that within within scare quotes, mm -hmm. not quite. Uh, but certainly, each of these structures develops. Now, for instance, what we call the sensory motor defensive survival brain, the old reptilian brain, we did inherit from the reptilian species. Okay. Uh, pretty much intact. Uh, a little bit refined, of course, and enlarged. But that, that unfolds first uh, uh, in utero. And then the uh, mammalian brain begins to unfold and function. And then the... Uh, the new mammalian brain that we associate with, uh, with uh, our own species and those that came right before us. And then uh, after birth, and not until after birth, does the fourth brain, the prefrontal cortex, which is, of course, the most important one of all, does that uh, unfold and grow? And the important thing about these is that each one carries within it a block of, of potential, capacity, abilities, and uh, after birth, uh, each, besides the fourth brain, the latest one, ha uh, having to actually develop from pretty much from scratch, it's rudimentary at birth, mm -hmm. then we go through the, the real unfolding and development of the evolutionary brains themselves. Okay. Uh, that's why you're, the little one is, has to be in arms first. It's a very primitive condition and then they're crawling around on the floor on their belly we might say a little reptilian and early mammalian <laughs> then they're up on their hind legs and in a highly emotional state which is the old limbic structure of the the, uh, the uh, old mammalian brain right. and then they begin to shift more and more into uh, the higher brain uh, at a very clear developmental periods and uh, their behavior changes dramatically and their world changes. I mean, they open up to ever larger uh, um, uh, environmental possibilities and so forth. Uh, and uh, so if, if we understand that, then we can respond to them uh, in a pretty much different way than we do. They're, they're not born little adults. Uh, they're, they're born uh, certainly with, I, I think, a, a pretty well-developed spirit. As far as that brain and body goes, it's like building a house. You've got to put the foundation in first, then you put up your walls, then you put your roof on, 
and then you can start and put all sorts of stuff inside. Well, you know, it's interesting that, you, that, that you're talking about this right now because I have, uh, I have a one-year-old son is my first uh, my first child and he just turned one uh, just about a week and a half ago and everything that you're talking about um, I'm watching with my own eyes right now I'm seeing it happen I've seen my son now go from the in arms period through uh, he learned how to crawl uh, at a relatively young age and he's he's been walking now for a couple of months started walking at around 10 months but um, as I see the physical changes in him, I'm seeing a corresponding change in his intelligence. I certainly am seeing that. Surely, surely. His whole perception, his conceptual ability and everything shifts accordingly, according to nature. And the fact that uh, we say around age one, but of course these are very statistical broad level things. It might happen between seven and fifteen months. Right. Age one will be the the statistical average when they'll shift from the uh, old reptilian into the mammalian. And of course, when the brain is always functioning as a whole unit, it's optic, as David Bohm would say, or as Carl Prebrum would say, it operates as a whole unit. Any one part of it involves the action of the whole brain, but each part comes into play to be fully developed. Um, in its respective turn evolutionarily and that's important to know and it's very fascinating to watch it unfold in your own child as you're doing yeah it's amazing and um i'm i i feel fortunate that i, I was really glad that i actually read magical child before uh, before we had our son because uh there was a there's a lot of great information in that book that really opened my eyes just to be aware of some of these things and to be able to um, to recognize it when I saw it happen and, and, and to also try to help me um, modify my own behavior uh, to make sure that I can be an asset to this little human being as opposed to a liability. That's, of course, that's, the most, that's so critically important there, Mike, because children can't become who we tell them to be. They become largely who we are. <laughs> that ought to put that ought to scare us sufficiently to start and watch our own our own life around our child. Uh, for instance, the newest information that just came out about five years ago is that the mother, uh, the mother's emotional state while she's carrying her infant in her womb, her emotional state profoundly affects the size, shape, structure, nature, quality, and characteristics of the brain developing in the. In the uh, uh, child in her womb, and then there's the work of, of Alan Shore at uh, UCLA uh, Medical School. Sure. Uh, Alan Shore's 12 years of work in, in one book, it's one of the most remarkable books we've had in a long time, on the development of the affective or emotional system and, and uh, a sense of self in the child. But he, he proves very conclusively that the mother's emotional state from birth to about nine months profoundly affects uh, the development of the prefrontal cortex and, and the child for the rest of their, their life, as does the period from about nine to 18 months. Wow. The, the, uh, then the family's emotional state affects the child. But in the first nine months after, in the nine months in utero, the mother, mother's emotional state uh, uh, profoundly affects the actual growth of the old triune brain, the three-fold brain, mm -hmm. and after birth, 
the fourth brain that folds. Her emotional state itself determines that. Amazing. And then the, the, period of the toddler period that you're moving into mm -hmm. now, uh, the emotional atmosphere and environment for that child will determine their, their whole social adaptability and their intelligence level for the rest of their life. Wow, it's uh, an amazing thing and a, and a huge responsibility at the same time. But a great joy. And a great joy. What, what I, I keep telling people is, is in the, in the birth of, at the birth of their own child, they have a chance to literally kind of do it all over again right, right, from an right. adult standpoint. And the child, if, if we cue into our child uh, and take our, our cues from the child and respond accordingly, it's a reciprocal affair. <laughs> it's a, it's a, a two-way mirroring that goes on. The child looks to the parent for the signals that the child needs, and they're sending signals the parent needs to know how to respond to them. <laughs> Isn't uh, that, it's, Joe, it's, it, it's amazing because, I, I, like I say, I'm, I'm right in the middle of that right now. And when it, yeah. ha and when it happens, it's just a wonderful thing. And, and to participate in it, uh, I, I, I already, uh, in, a, in, in one year's time, have developed uh, a significantly interactive relationship with this little boy even though he cannot speak english and um uh, but we can certainly communicate oh indeed well as michael mendeza uh, uh in his book uh, magical child magical parent points out uh, through this reciprocal action back and forth we go through a whole new learning process <sighs> ourselves Mm -hmm. in, in bringing up our child if we're open to them right and in a true communication with them rather than just a dictate to them of behaviors that we expect from them right that's so critically important in, in fact uh, at birth itself I've forgotten which one it might have been Paul McLean the great neuroscientist who said that uh, and uh, Marshall Klaus who said that that the infant itself and its interaction with the mother from birth on awakens in the mother powerful, tremendous intelligences for how to respond to that infant and care for it, which, and, which empowers her. It expands her intelligence and her capacities enormously. So the infant is awakening in the mother tremendous intelligences that she hasn't, hasn't developed because she hasn't needed them. <laughs> and so you have, again, this this reciprocal back and forth uh, awakening of intelligence in each other, and it's no joke. It, that's the way the game is played. Wow. Well, you you, you just mentioned uh, mentioned Michael Mendeza, so I think I'll take a moment here to uh, to mention uh, the Touch the Future Foundation. Yeah. Um, and uh, and I'll also mention uh, HeartMath up there in Boulder. Um, my, my, I'm talking to. Uh, uh, to Joseph Chilton Pierce, uh, for those who are just tuning into the program, uh, Joseph is an author and a, uh, a speaker around the world, and his work has, for many, many years, primarily focused on the development of uh, children and the, uh, the potential inside all of us human beings and what we can do to, to reach that potential. And um, if you're interested in the work and some of the things that you hear on the program tonight, you can go find some more information about Mr. Pierce and uh, other people that are doing wonderful work as he is at the Touch the Future uh, organization, Touch the Future Foundation. You can get to them at www.ttfuture. That's the letter T, again the letter T, and then the word future. 
ttfuture.org. You can also get there by typing in touchthefuture.org. And um, much of uh, the work that Joseph has done over the years is available there at that website. And, Joe, you, you also mentioned uh, the HeartMath Institute in Boulder. Um, we really haven't uh, started talking about the heart yet. Uh, we're kind of sticking to the brain right now and talking about the brain structure and the brain um, development. But uh, let's t- why don't you tell me real fast just what's going on in Boulder, and then maybe we can talk about, uh, well, well, we'll obviously sneak into that, start talking about intelligence and sure. how the heart's involved with all that. So. Well, uh, the Institute of Heart Math in Boulder, California, Actually, they've been involved with the um, research into the heart for about 30, 35 years. Okay. And preceding them, there was all sorts of information about the heart, which is quite revolutionary, but it was so out of the box for the regular academic world that it simply uh, was, was not, uh, not publicized or, uh, at all. But the, the fact of the matter is that the discoveries of what we call neurocardiology which translates as the neural structures in the heart, the neural structures like the neural structures in your brain, or they refer to it as the brain in the heart. And the heart functions as a a source of high intelligence, uh, uh, keen intelligence in the the human being and in all creatures, um, on levels that we had no idea of before. And at HeartMath, they have brought all that together and been doing their own uh, very advanced research, uh, which some of it, which is, is, is really just astonishing, the fact that the heart picks up or knows about events four to seven, se- uh, laboratory-controlled events, four to seven seconds before, uh, four to seven, yeah, seconds before the event actually occurs in a, a strict laboratory-controlled situation, and they know it's in natural world situations uh, in the environment. The heart picks up signals and um, tries to prepare the body for it. And some species and some, some um, um, societies of, of humans still maintain an awareness of what the heart is doing. We've lost that awareness uh, and missed these signals, but the heart actually has an intuitive, pre, we could say uh, precognitive aspect to it. Um, that is aware on many levels that we're not. Huh. That's only part of a heart, uh, the business about the heart. It's, it's a major uh, endocrine gland of the body, and uh, it, it is profoundly affected by the emotional structures in our brain, and, and then in turn, in, again, that reciprocal give-and-take mirroring fashion uh, has a profound effect on the emotional structures and the prefrontal cortex of our brain Hmm. and um, the prefrontal cortex is the governor of our brain but we find that the governor of that is to a certain extent in the heart and so the intelligence of the heart is no joke it 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 covers a a great area and is a very profound thing about it and of course that the heart is literally through the pre pre, uh, frontal cortex is literally the source of our spiritual life and, of course, all that in academic circles has been kind of poo-pooed, but now the research on it is, is uh, far more um, prevalent and can be dismissed any longer. Right. And so the, the spiritual aspects of the human being through the heart, I think, are another very exciting thing. It's always been known by our 
poets and uh, sages and sure. saints. Sure. At the heart math, the uh, Institute of Heart Math has lifted the idea of the intelligence of the heart out of poetry and out of uh, mysticism. Mysticism into hardcore science. So we, we owe them a great debt of gratitude, and they're doing wonderful work, for instance, with children in schools and so on, on um, the um, control of their whole emotional system through the heart. All right. Well, um, the uh, I actually just pulled up their website here, and for anybody who's listening, you can check out the Institute of Heart Math at www.heartmath.org. H-E-R-T, I'm sorry, H-E-A-R-T-M-A-T-H dot org. And we'll, um, Joe, we'll talk a little bit more about the, how, uh, about the heart a little bit later, I'm sure. Um, let, let, let's get back just for a moment. You know, you actually said something that struck me when you said that the heart um, has been shown in laboratory settings to be able to sort of precognize events and be able to respond and send information to the brain uh, ahead, of time. ahead of time before the event actually occurs. Or before we are aware of the event. Right, right. Now, to me... I think that there's that that's a very important uh, discovery, and it 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 actually um, sounds to me like it may tie in with the savant phenomenon, believe it or not, because it it it, it makes me think about quantums again. It makes me think about quantum uh, ideas of quantum physics. Okay, hey, this is Mike uh, cutting in for a second here. You're listening to an interview I did with Joseph Chilton Pierce a couple weeks ago. We'll get right back to that in a second. I'm going to take a break uh, for about uh, just a couple minutes here, sneak in a little bit of music, and uh, let you all take a break as well. We'll be back in just about five minutes, and we'll continue to talk about uh, the heart and uh, the brain and the mind and intelligence in the human species. Back in a minute with Joseph Chilton Pierce. This is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. Tarzan wasn't a ladies' man he just come along and scoop him up under his arm like that Quick as a cat in the jungle Look like now there was a real gent He would not be caught sitting around in the jungle Family were all dead. 
planet crumbled, but Superman he forced himself to carry on. Forget Krypton and keep going. Sometimes I despair, the world will never see another man like him. Tarzan was king of the jungle and lord over all the apes. But he could hardly string together for the words. I toss in Sometimes when soup was stopping crimes, how bad that he was tempted to just quit and turn his back on him. Join toss in the forest. Kept on changing clothes and dirty old phone books till his work was through. And nothing to do but go on home. Superman never made any money for saving the world from somebody. And sometimes I despair. That was the crash test dummies uh, from a uh, CD called uh, Studio C, Volume 1. That's from a radio station back in Boulder, Colorado. And by the way, the boulder that uh, Joe Pierce and I are talking about in this interview uh, is actually a Boulder Valley, I believe. But Boulder Valley, it's California, not uh, Colorado, just uh, so nobody gets confused about that. We'll get right back to that uh, this interview with Joe Pierce in uh, uh, just a second here, if I can figure out what I'm doing. Okay, here we go. For a moment, you know, you actually said something that struck me when you said that the heart um, has been shown in laboratory settings to be able to sort of precognize events and be able to respond and send information to the brain uh, ahead of time. Ahead of time, before the event actually occurs, or before we are aware of the event. Right, right. Now, to me. I think that there's that that's a very important uh, discovery, and it 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 actually um, sounds to me like it may tie in with the savant phenomenon, believe it or not, because it it it, it makes me think about quantums again. It makes me think about quantum uh, ideas of quantum physics. Um, this idea that time isn't really what it what what we think that it is, and that and that we have access to information outside of that sphere. 
Well, it also ties in very neatly with Rupert Sheldrake, the biologist from ah, Cambridge University sure. in England. Sure. And his last two books have been on these intuitive capacities of the brain. The only thing is Sheldrake has not brought the heart into it. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as he does, he'll have a complete picture there. But he's been fascinated with the intuitive capacities of both animals and humans. Right, for many years he has. Yes, yeah. that they can pick up uh, signals that are not available to the to our immediate sensory system. And uh, what Hartmaster's found is that the, the mind, where our personal awareness is kind of the last to be informed of some incredible things that go on in the in the brain and the heart and the body, uh, and we're we're kind of the emergent property from all of that, and we can get easily cut off and isolated from a major source of the intelligence of our system that keeps everything in perfect harmony and balance. Uh, we get cut off from that very easily in the contemporary world. Sure, and it, and it and it seems to it's. It seems to be reflected. You've talked about this mirroring. Uh, it seems to be reflected in society in general. When 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 we lose that connection, uh, and it throws our own personal systems out of balance or out of equilibrium, uh, when that happens on a significant level, then we start to see it throughout the entire culture, throughout the entire society. <laughs> that's that's the understatement, isn't it? <laughs> it sure is. Here we have we have. I'm sure you you. you run across our references to the fact that uh, that uh, suicide in children is at an all-time high. In fact, it's never happened before that uh, we know of um, um, uh, under age 14. It's all the way, all the way down to age 3 now. And uh, as uh, I've forgotten, I think it was Paul McLean, the great neuroscientist, said we have no historical precedent for a society or culture that drives its own children to suicide. So we'll find that once we, we get out of balance between the heart and the brain, uh, the, it, 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 the situation gets wackier and wackier. <laughs> the, the, the personal out of balance begins, as you say, it reflects in the whole society because this reciprocal mirroring action goes on between the individual and, and his environment, the individual and his whole society. Yeah, it's something else to uh, when when you start to understand that it be, uh, it it really cleared up a lot of things for me. In other words, I I was I was watching. For example, we talked off the air a little bit. We were talking about if we can just survive the politicians. <laughs> but over over my life of watching these people, and uh, not just politicians, but also people in the sciences and uh, in lots of different areas of human endeavor, and I have seen uh, from these people great intellect and incredibly uh, what before becoming familiar with your work I would have called intelligence mm -hmm. but I don't call it intelligence anymore um, and I realize now that there is a distinction between intellect and intelligence and I think what we're seeing in so many cases is these tremendous intellects but without intelligence uh, helping to guide that intellect Yes, I've, I've made the distinction that, uh, that intellect simply explores all possibilities without any consideration of, their, of, of uh, the consequences. Right, without... I think uh, and so a scientist gets an idea, and, and it, it, boy, he might get fame and fortune and a Nobel out, and gets tremendously excited, and will go ahead and pursue it to the end, even though it leads to extremely disastrous results. Uh, but... Um, that's, that's intellect. The human intellect simply knows no bounds. 
uh, and, and does not work necessarily for our well-being, but the intelligence of the heart, the one criteria of it is it functions only for the well-being of the individual and his society. So the heart, that's the big distinction between them. Okay, so the, so the so the heart adds this holistic sort of idea that looks out for the for the for the overall well-being of not only the individual but also the environment of the individual, which would be, I guess, our planet. Yes, indeed. The, we, the, some of the new stuff that's coming out now of of uh, the profound interaction even between species on a DNA level that the biologists are now finding out. That electron microscope is really, really making some, uh, opening some new doors to us and making us realize that we're an integral part of an interwoven network of life. The old Gaia theory of Lovelock, I believe it was, is, is really quite, quite sound. And uh, what we're doing are, are a lot of brilliant intellectual uh, activities and discoveries uh, that are, are extremely destructive. They're destructive to the environment, destructive to individuals, and so on. Now, the heart, were we, had we not lost our, our connection with the heart, we would simply not be involved in such destructive practices. Right. In other words, we would we would be using the intellect uh, proactively uh, in order to sustain and to make things better as opposed to uh, just using it for whatever it decides to use itself for. No, that sounds awfully la-di-da, but it's actually exactly the case. And uh, uh, the, what is happening to our children and the reason they are having such great difficulties are specific uh, technological, particularly electronic devices being used inappropriately with children right from the beginning. Ah. And that serves the purpose, literally, of isolating the sense of self from the, the wholeness of, of the life process itself, including our whole spiritual aspects. Okay, L- listen, Joe, I, I, I think I know where you're going to go with that, and, I, and I'd like to talk a little bit more about that, about, about I think, uh, the television in particular is what, what you're alluding to here. And I'm familiar with some of the work that you've done that talks about what the physiological effects of the television actually are on the mind-brain system and how that affects imagination uh, or limits imagination, I might say, and, ha- and, and how it does sort of set this trap for the children. Well, the, the damage of television is in the device itself, the electronic pr- process itself, and not necessarily in the programming. So it's not and content-driven. Uh, yeah, you, you have, most people assume that if you just had the appropriate programming on television, it would be a wonderful thing for children, and that simply isn't the case. There's nothing you could put on television. Uh, that would not uh, uh, really, really compromise the child's neural growth and, and certainly their mind-heart connection and so on. Television as a device and the, the way that it affects the brain uh, has, has a profoundly uh, negative effect on the child. And the average American child sees about five to 6,000 hours of television before age five. My gosh. And um, we know that the, one of the side effects of television is that it's taken the place of uh, storytelling and the child's following of, of, of personal communication and play. And play is the overarching intelligence which must be 
Paul McLean, the great neuroscientist, said the three things the child must have from from the beginning on is audiovisual communication. And there's a profound difference between audiovisual communication and audiovisual stimulus. Mm-hmm. And the TV is a stimulus which takes place of communication, and it it really wrecks havoc with the system. And no one will believe it. Most people. Their denial factor goes sky high because they had television when they were little. Right. But if you ask them, have you ever thought, why is it you're, you're driven with so much uh, anxieties and your, your society and your world around you is in such chaos? Uh, you have to start and look back to the root causes. And one of the primary root causes is television. Of course, there, there are several other things that we're doing that are disasters to our children's lives, but television would certainly be um, ranked one of the first ones I would, I would put up. You know, it's, again, it's age-appropriate use of it. Later right. on, once the brain system is pretty well developed and so on and so forth, uh, it, it, it's less harmful. It's not very good for adults, but it's less right. harmful. Right. You know, um, we, we, there, there's, a, there's a gentleman who I quote once in a while um, with regard to the tele- television. He was a... Uh, a friend of mine, somebody who I had a lot of respect for, he's not with us any longer. His name was Terrence McKenna, oh, yes. and, and you may be familiar with Terrence. Uh, mm-hmm. Terrence talked about television and said that uh, TV is the world's most unstudied drug. He said that when you have the television on, your your eyes go blank, your brain waves go flat, the the blood pools in your butt, and uh, and you become the perfect pawn for somebody else's trip. Yes. And, and not only that, but the damage to to uh, anyone is, is is considerable, but particularly to the to the new brain, the growing child. Right, because of the development that's happening in the brain at that time. Yes, it, uh, pr- precisely that. Uh, the oh, you could look at the studies from Tübingen University in Germany with the German uh, Psychological Alliance, and they did a twenty-year study to show the effects on the brain of all these new technological devices and uh boy it's 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 really remarkable. Huh. And no one pays any attention to it because television is a tremendous political economic tool. Oh yeah. For control. It's it's a, a means of, of behavioral control in the populace. And people are not aware of the extent to which they're being literally controlled by television and driven by it. Mm-hmm. And the child particularly. And so, but you've got this tremendous denial factor. And of course, if you try to get any of this published or into the media, right. <laughs> you're simply you don't have any luck with right. it. Right, you're obviously fighting against yeah. the media itself. So because all of it boils down to the media, which is uh, intimately connected with the whole political economic sure. system, sure. and the system protects itself. Yeah, it's and, and there are no bad guys. You know, if we could just find a few bad guys and hang them. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. And be, uh, be over with the problem, but there are no bad guys. It's a, a broad, broad-scale cultural effect that's been in motion for a long time. Yeah, you know, it, it uh, that that area or that that period of time shortly after World War II seemed to be such a watershed for so many different things, and um, this uh, the the television being one of them, the era of sort of technological childbirth being another one. Mm-hmm. Uh, that you've touched on, of course, in the past. You know, speaking of the television, I had a revelation one night. I was living in Denver at the time, and I was taking my dog for a walk in the evening. Uh, speaking of Rupert Sheldrake, I had some interesting stories about my dog. But in any case, uh, it was it was dark. It was nighttime, and um, as I walked down the block, 
I looked over to one of the houses and I saw a flash in the window. Um, and uh, I, for a moment, I thought, "What was that?" I thought it was something that flew overhead. But then I realized it was just this flashing in the in the in the window was the television that was on in the room behind it. And as I recognized that, I looked down the block, and I saw the same flash in in near in nearly every window. Yeah. And 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 boy, it it hit me like a ton of bricks. And uh, I realized right then what a what a serious thing was happening. Now, that at each of those flashes, you're having what's called the startle effect in the brain. Uh, and the startle effect in the brain is, is the old reptilian brain's way of alerting the high brain that what's going on, the reptilian brain can't interpret. Mm-hmm. And it, it alerts the high brain to pay attention to the signal to sh- a little shot of cortisol. Uh, which is one of the hormones to wake us up. Okay. And the only problem is that cortisol is a deadly, deadly uh, kind of a poison to the neural system in any great excess. And we don't realize that our children are, are com- constantly being bathed in the startle effect looking at television. Now, the mind gets very blasé and sophisticated, and the child doesn't seem to mind what's going on. They don't even seem to pay much attention to it. But a recent study that just came out now, for instance, shows that between uh, it, this was only between eight and age eight and thirteen, but it, it applies absolutely to uh, to the whole scheme of things in this. That to the old brain systems in their bodies, the image is always true. That is what's going on on television. The the body and the and the brain and the heart respond exactly as though it were an actual event out there in our environment, mm. even though we as as a, a personality are sophisticated. We say, oh, it's just an event on television, but our body is responding exactly as though we were involved in the event itself. Now, this this is a big study that just came out. And the, the the implications of it are just earth-shaking. Right. Which means of uh, the uh, the average uh, child programming uh, has has an, a, a total of 18 acts of violence per hour. And again, the child acts very sophisticated, so hat, but their body is reacting to the violence precisely as though the violence were in the sensory motor world immediately around it. And there's one of your major reasons for the children's extreme problems we're having now. All the attention deficit disorder, the bipolar children, uh, many, in fact, of the uh, Asperger and autistic children may possibly be falling into this category. The bad health of our children, their obesity, and so on and so forth. It goes on and on. And here's uh, hour after hour after hour spent in more time right. than in any other activity in front of a, a machine which is bringing about these neural responses in their, in, in their bodies that they're not aware of. Right. We're so, kind of, again, we <laughs> as a mind involved in all this are kind of the last to know what's really happening through these technological devices. Incredible. And we're not going to change. The, the thing about this, Mike, that, and your listeners, you're not going to change the institutions. You're not, you're not going to eliminate television or computers in children, which are almost as damaging as television, um, or any of this. You're not going to get rid of that. But all you can do is to move for your child's well-being right. and for your own well-being. Right. You can do it personally 
and that's your biggest task that you'll have is to is to is to achieve that personally, and uh, only through that will any change take place out there in the world. Wow. Yep. And uh, I I I believe every word of it because. Uh, um, as you point out, Joe, this is no longer New Age hocus pocus. Uh, this stuff is all now, uh, over the last few years, last ten years in particular, is really being documented and really being shown in a scientific manner. Um, and we're realizing that, regardless of, like you say, the denial factor is huge, and the institutions uh, that are driving it uh, are obviously still where they are, and they're going to remain in power. But it does not change the fact that what we're learning is what we're learning. Well, the one problem, though, is, 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 is what's being discovered, it's awfully hard to get it out to the public's mm -hmm. attention. Because, again, to do so threatens the whole, so, the, the whole cultural structure right. that we have uh, going right now. I, I remember when one of the major networks, television networks, wanted to interview, uh, 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 did a three-hour interview not on the air with me about child suicide because they were, they were contemplating doing... A, of full-scale programming, right. and after three hours, the uh, the individual from the television network said, "Like, there's no way in the world I could get this information uh, on, on out out there to the public." Said, that "No one would touch it with a ten-foot pole." Right. And he what said, a shame. Any, "Any station that tried to do it, you know, because he said it, it uh, uh, that it, it threatens every fabric of, of current sure. culture." Sure, it's taken taken a big shot right at the mainstream yeah. culture itself. Yeah, and uh, so the the culture as kind of a, a psychological organism is going to protect itself and maintain its own own power structures, even toward its own, uh, uh, to, without regard to its own well being. Oh yeah, this is this, that's exactly the case. Uh, there's not that kind of consciousness in, right. in the cultural. Uh, kind of a cultural entity, but again, the only thing a person can do is uh, to make sure that you you clean up your own house, mm -hmm. or that, that you clean up your own act, and and get your own own life uh, under under control again. And one of the major things in that would be to eliminate television. Okay, this is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit. I'm going to do the top of the hour ID. We're close enough to it, and then we'll get back and finish up this interview with Joseph Chilton Pierce. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, currently, we're talking about the effect on uh, the brain and uh, the entire system, actually, of uh, children of the television, the effects of television on TV. And Joseph Chilton Pierce um, has been... Uh, uh, long defending his position about this stuff, and, uh, and now it's all being uh, uh, shown scientifically um, what these effects really are. So in any case, uh, we'll be back in just a second. You're listening to KOPN 89.5 FM, Mid-Missouri Source for In-Depth News, Diverse Talk, Music of the World. It's more than radio. It's community radio, and it's also the home for Radio Orbit. And uh, this is Mike Hagan, and we'll be back in just a moment, and um, we'll talk to you then.
Sunvolt from their CD Trace, a song called Ten Second News. This is Mike Hagen. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN. We're going to get right back to my interview with Joseph Chilton Pierce. We've got about 30 minutes left of that. We'll listen to that straight through. And uh, just to refresh you, we were just uh, talking about uh, the television and effects of the TV on uh, the developing brain of a child. And uh, we'll get right back into that right now. Thanks for listening. Radio Orbit, KOPN. Now, computers have, to a certain extent, the very same effect on the child. With a computer, what the plea that we make is for age-appropriate use. Which would be, give me an idea on some of the age groups that we're talking about here. Well, uh, now my own personal feeling is any any use of a computer under age 12 would be would be harmful by and large. Um, it'll, it'll replace and substitute for other processes that are supposed to be taking place in the brain at that point. Okay. Even after age 12, it would have to be used with real, real care. Okay. And the idea of ed- education through a computer is one of the greatest myths ever sold to the American public. 
and it's not going to happen. In fact, uh, trying to, to base a schooling process on on uh, on a computer is going to finish off the American child pretty 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 quickly. Wow, you know, I hadn't even considered that because there is quite a bit of talk these days about uh, about, about using technology uh, to change the way uh, that we think about school. For example, a kid might be able to go to school right in his own home just by logging on the computer and then going to sort of a virtual classroom yeah. and that sort of thing. And as all developmentalists have shown from Rudolf Steiner through Piaget, Montessori, Piaget, um, all, all of them, that uh, not until about age 12 does a child really uh, have, have the neural capacity to grasp pure abstract information, okay. information taken out of its concrete living reality mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. presented in, a, in an abstract or, or a kind of symbolic form as you find on, on computers. So after that, it, 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 uh, it could, could serve some purposes if, they were if it was carefully used before that. It takes the place of neural development itself. The great Joe Weizenbaum, the granddaddy of all computers at MIT, when they ask him uh, when would be an appropriate time for computers, he said, well, certainly not in schools. Schools are, are, are there to teach children to think and develop their brains. Once that is in place, he said, then computers could lead to, uh, you know, a great, uh, just to the stars themselves. Sure, but sure. if it's used prematurely, it takes the place of thinking and is terribly destructive. And he, he said, well, when do you think it should be used? He said, well, maybe if it's a really good student in graduate school. <laughs> but I would say that just simply trying to be realistic, I would, I would certainly prevent any computer interaction until a child was 12, unless they are simply extremely precocious. Right. And there are some children that are extremely precocious and well, head of the game. You know, uh, there are some incredible children out there today, and I... Um, I don't know if it's uh, if if they just seem to be manifesting on our planet right now, or if or if there are a lot of uh, a lot more parents who are starting to learn this information, and this is the result of what we're seeing of parents actually doing um, a better job of knowing some of these things. And uh, but but I've seen with my own eyes uh, in some uh, some of my friends' children and some children that I that I've uh, meet just about my life that I've seen some extraordinary young children these days. They're cropping up more and more, and you're quite right. It's because of, of more and more conscious and aware. Of right, right, because because at the same time, I'm seeing a tremendous number of children who are in very, very deep trouble, too. Oh, boy, you better believe it. The Santa Barbara Graduate Institute uh, there in Santa Barbara, California, is the first graduate institute uh, accredited a graduate school for uh, teaching pre what they call pre and perinatal uh, psychology. Okay. Uh, the what we need to know before a child is born and what we need to know after they're, they're born. But the, the big push they're making now is for preconceptual education, huh. uh, that a, a, proper, a proper understanding between the, the partners before they conceive a child can make a profound difference in the character and nature of the child is born into the world. Now, this gets us into some hairy stuff huh. that uh, really sounds new agey, but it's all too true. And right now we're having a wave of children, for instance, with the ex extremely large prefrontal cortices. That is, the neural structure of the brain is in them is different than the average child. And they are precocious <laughs> and, and tremendous. Now, um, this, this should, this should um, 
you know, wake us up here. Evolution is trying to do something. Right. And uh, it will depend on our awareness, uh, conscious conception, and fully conscious uh, um, uh, birth, and then fully conscious child-rearing itself. And, and we, could, we could, then you can really change this, this whole social situation. Right. Now, Joe, I know that in your past, you've had actually some uh, incredible experiences in your own life, things that, uh, that some people would consider out of this world or not, or, or not humanly possible. And I know that um, through those experiences, you were made aware that the human being, if uh, nurtured and and uh, uh, if if some of the right things are done, that the human being is actually capable of extraordinary things. In fact, things that would seem uh, outside of the realm of possibility for most people. Um, I thought maybe we could talk a little bit about the savant phenomenon and how that relates to this, and maybe this whole idea of 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 fields fields of intelligence and being able to tap into those fields and be able to and being able to transcend uh, the, the the physical sometimes through it yeah, i have a friend lawrence becker um in austin texas who is very much involved in the savant phenomena and working on behalf of of children who are apparently savants he works also with autistic and all the rest of the the uh, problem children but um you're, you're exactly right. What they have found is that some of these children that apparently uh, aren't, aren't quite with us on many levels uh, have one particular area of expertise in which they, they simply seem to have access to all the information in the world about it. Right. Without and, ever being taught it or anything, right? Yes. Without any access to the information, they, they can access it on some level. And this is this is um, a, a phenomenon. There are loads of different uh, explanations for it, and, and a lot of different scientific explanations for the science, for the pheno- uh, savant phenomena. But um, some of these savants they can't read or write, and they're, are yet uh, told of a, an extreme mathematical kind of a of an issue, and can come up with. Uh, um, mathematical answers that, that, that are astonishing <laughs> uh, and uh, there's no conceivable way that they could do it and yet they do it but it will be in mathematics and, and others in, in music for instance the, the blind and apparent what they thought was a, a, a deaf and mute uh, imbecile who um, it turned out to have, have an incredible capacity for, for music um, in immediately imitating, if you put him in a piano, what he's just heard on the piano, and this, this stuff like this just makes no sense to us right. at all. But it falls into an area of of informational exchange that that uh, we're just beginning to wake up to. Mm-hmm. Think of think of Howard Gardner at Harvard, and he, there's one of your biggest figures today, and his um, his um, his theory on on the intelligences, the various different intelligences with which we're born into the world, in effect. And um, that all these intelligences need is to be nurtured, and they'll unfold. Mathematics, music, you run right down the list of your savants, and you'll find that they have access to one of these intelligences fully. And if you look carefully what, what uh, 
Gardner is saying, he's, he's saying these are, are natural intelligence we all bring with us, but we have, they have to be developed. Just as he said, the child never played with will never be able to play. Right. <laughs> the child never given um, mathematical models will never develop mathematics, even though the capacity is inherent within them. So for, so for a savant as a child, for example, that child... I understand there are a number of ways that the, that the situation might occur, but for example, it may be a situation where the child is fully neglected uh, or a situation like that, but he has access to one thing. For example, uh, in one of your books, I know you talk about the calendrical savants and the fact that uh, as a small child, they didn't have anything and didn't have any care or nurturing or whatever, but they had a little calendar box that was a perpetual calendar that they were able to play with. Mm-hmm. And as they... When, when they developed, they had no development whatsoever uh, uh, in, well, I shouldn't say that, but their brains were not fully developed and they were not even educable. They were, you could not even teach them anything, yet they had this access to, uh, you could tell them what, what day does a Tuesday fall on in 2055 or whatever, and they'll tell you exactly what the date is or whatever. Well, there are a lot of those. Uh, as I say, they're, they're savants in the mathematical field and all the different fields. So what determines which particular field they, <laughs> they, they end up having this aptitude for when they have... Well, none? You, you've already mentioned it. One of the proposals, and, and these are hotly contested issues, would be just simply they, they, they have some kind of a stimulus early in life that opens them to such a, a field effect. And, and then uh, because they don't develop other, other fields much, uh, that particular field doesn't have any competition, and uh, they have full kind of access to it, but not in an intelligent way. It's okay. just kind of a of a knee-jerk reflex. A reactionary thing. Uh, it's not a developable. They can't develop. Um, they can can't develop the talent. It's just something that happens rather rather automatically. So it's not really. Uh, all it does further is indicate the, the um, concept that Rupert Sheldrake has of morphogenetic fields that exist not in time-space but in some way outside time-space that we tap into all the time. All right, David well, Bohm had exactly the same idea. And Rudolf Steiner, of course, was the prime example. Here's a guy with a Ph.D. from the, in the sciences from a German university, and he could access what he termed the Akashic Records. Huh. Uh, which are is kind of the the sum total of all memory uh, banks in human experience. And uh, Steiner, of course, died in 1925. He gave us Waldorf education, sure. thank God, before he did. But now we've got a, a scientist like Irvin Laszlo, and he's no small potato. And he's he's coming out with a book. It'll be released, I think, in December, uh, uh, by my publisher up in Rochester, Vermont. And it's called uh, uh, Science and the Akashic Fields, or maybe it's the Akashic Records and Science, the right, other way around. Right, right. But I didn't think I'd live long enough uh, to, to see a, a reputable scientist talking about the Akashic Records. Wow. That's just so occultic. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, kind of 19th century occultism, too. Sure, it reminds um, me of the old Blatavsky writings and things yeah. like that, you know, so... And yet here it is. They began to find, no, this is a phenomenon. Uh, well, that begs the question. The, these fields that we're talking about, they're, uh, 
they're non-local then? Is that, is that, is that where the quantum side comes into that's, this? That, exactly. Uh, that's why the conversations between David Bohm, the physicist, and he was Einstein's protege in no small sure, part sure. and uh, Rupert Sheldrake are quite fascinating. They're talking about this field effect. They don't, uh, they don't necessarily use the same language, but that's, that's what they're talking about is, is the field effect. And so, uh, okay, so here's the next question. The, if, if there are all these different fields of intelligence, then the, then, then the big question becomes how do we access these fields and how do we increase our level of access to those fields? Well, I think you access, to my way of thinking, the fields are accessed by a fully, fully developed and mature mind. Uh, and you have to follow nature's prerogative on this. That is, you still look at the, the evolutionary structure of the brain. And if this is, is followed and, and, and the evolutionary code is followed, and each, each of these matrix periods or stages of development, is, if the child is given the appropriate model, nurturing, and care, and the safe space <laughs> to, to function in, uh, that will all lead up to the ability to open to higher and higher realms of, uh, of uh, possibility. Uh, so you start off with the, the child in the most concrete way of dealing with their, their physical world and, and their desire to play all the time in it. They play in an imaginative capacity, which prepares them for the next stage of, of development. You'll find imagination is one of the main keys to right. thing, the ability to image internally that which is not present externally. And, and, and of course, we were talking about the television earlier, and the, te- the television is... Completely it, obliterates that. Exactly. It exactly. takes it away. There's no capacity for that internal world-making. In television, you can replicate that which you've seen on television. You can't create your own. Right. So that, that, uh, the, what you're doing is, from the very beginning, this tremendously transcendent capacity of the brain to keep moving into higher and higher uh, potentials, overcoming the limitation and constraints in each previous stage, should lead up to what Rudolf Steiner says, the discovery of a higher world. Mm -hmm. And that would be the mature mind, uh, probably around age 21. But you, you don't get to that stage it's, it's like I'll ensure it refers to kind of the rungs of, a, of the evolutionary ladder. If you want to get up to the fourth rung, you follow rungs one, two, and three. Right. And if you think that you can skip those and just start and function on row four, it's going to be a very inefficient function. Well, so, you know, I have, I have a lot of listeners that are, um, you know, that are adults and that may have not had... Uh, all of the advantages of when, when they were children growing up. And I know that some of these things that we're talking about are what we call stage-specific, in that um, as the brain is developing, just like the body develops, like you say, we get four-year molars, and then we get seven-year molars, and those, those things occur within a particular stage of time. And the brain does the same thing. Uh, after these windows are closed... Um, and, for example, for an adult human who has, who has not had the advantage of having some of those developments take place, is it possible to go back? I know it's sure probably much harder, uh, but is it possible? Well, 
the new buzzword in uh, neuroscience is plasticity. Plasticity, plasticity of the brain. Ah. The fact that it is pliable and flexible uh, far beyond uh, any boundaries that we used to put on it. Now, Marion Diamond, one of our great neuroscientists, says, says that the, the brain can keep on expanding and, and learning and, and thriving to the last minute of, of life. But, she said, it's the laziest muscle in the body. <laughs> and uh, if you put it on the shelf, uh, it's not going to do anything. Right. So uh, what we find is that as adults, we can open up all sorts of levels. And I think that's what's so exciting. Right. A lot of this so-called New Age stuff that people poo-poo, believe me, um, a lot of it is very sound business. And uh, these these people are, are hungry for the development of their own spiritual side, right. which means these higher realms. And uh, we haven't gotten it through uh, many of our, our institutions, so they're opening up to it. And, of course, there are a lot of charlatans around claiming to give you everything in one weekend. Right. But nevertheless, some great things are happening. And... Um, I think Waldorf education is one of the finest things that's happened. So is Montessori a, a great system uh, to, to give the proper foundations to children? But we as adults can do all sorts of, of uh, work on ourselves and discover these, these inner capacities. Yeah, and I think awareness that it's possible is the first key to that. Indeed it is. And... and it should it should fill us all with a great optimistic uh, surge. I, I'm I'm myself a tremendous optimist in many ways about about our our life today because we're discovering new things all the time. They've got people, and these people have been under observation for quite a while, who go through a, a very elaborate procedure involving high risk, I guess, in a in a way, and really. Uh, can turn over the metabolic system to other subtle energy systems in the body, and they don't have to eat anymore. Yeah. Now, we hear that, and we poo-poo, but you meet a couple of these people, and you discover that it's true. Um, the capacities of the human being are, are simply open-ended. We don't know what they are. Um, and if, if we do discover one, or the whole cultural pressure is to not only ignore it, but to convince us that we're crazy. <laughs> yeah, and so that was certainly the, my, my case when I was a young man. <laughs> well, you know, uh, I read a story. It was probably a year ago or so, but there was a story about a gentleman in India, and they had documented that this man had, and he, uh, had lived without food uh, for... Oh, it was a it was a long long time. I want to say that uh, it was it was over a hundred days that they had documented. But he claimed to be able to do it pretty much indefinitely, and he said that he got his uh, he got his energy directly from the sun. Wow! <laughs> and he was perfectly uh, and this again it was a documented case and uh, mm. and 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 uh, in the past I would not have believed that. Um, but I believe it today because of some of the things that I've learned. Um, and, I, and, I, and I'd like to add to my listeners that um, a lot of these things that Joe and I are talking about, I've experienced in my own life. Um, and that's why I'm so interested in them because I had, uh, didn't have the most wonderful childhood and uh, 
uh, had a lot of issues as a, as a young man growing up. And up until the age of maybe uh, close to 30 years old, I was still in deep, deep trouble. Um, but I was lucky enough to get turned on to a couple of people and uh, to a couple of ideas that eventually changed my life and, and, and gave me a realization of some of the things that we're talking about tonight. And, and like you say, I'm, I'm hopeful now, too, because I do understand that, uh, that we really are capable of, of, of nearly anything. Oh, indeed, and your life can be turned around with one significant encounter. Isn't that the really truth? really can. A child particularly, I mean, in, in our teens, for instance, uh, an encounter with one specific person can just turn us around entirely. They're they're discovering that they can they can uh, approach these hardcore criminal teenage criminals uh, in in, in um, a certain way, for instance, and really really get into them and 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 turn them around completely. I have a friend who's worked with them in the New York penitentiary system. And she says that the public just knew how easily salvageable these young people are. Mm -hmm. uh, and we think of the Marysville, California, uh, essentially a Waldorf school behind bars. <laughs> right. And where there are profound transformations taking place in what's some, otherwise some pretty tough customers. Right. Well, that's... Uh, uh, so again, if, if it's possible there with some very, very seriously disturbed people... Um, then we move on up to the ordinary person. Believe me, we're we're wide open to profound change. Right. There's a statement in a wise guy who came along a couple of thousand years ago, and he said, "The laborer who comes to the vineyard at the eleventh hour gets the same wage as the one who came at the first hour." Uh -huh. And that means that this profound change, which opens you to the to your heart and its intelligence, that's all it does, and bring the whole system into balance with itself so that your thought, feeling, and action are one unit, uh, that can happen any time of life. And it, it, as you well know, it's, it's an exciting experience to go through. You know, uh, I also think of the, of the old phrase that's been passed down over all these years, and it was just, it was simply, physician, heal thyself. Heal <laughs> thyself. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, that brings to mind here, this physician is going to have to knock off because I've, I've, I've got uh, some things that have to be done starting very soon here. Well. So I, we could obviously keep this going, uh, Mike, for hours and possibly days. We haven't even touched on the subject yet. Gosh, I know. There was the, I, I, I had a whole list of things here, and there's so much to talk about. But we uh, have had, we've had... Uh, we've had a significant amount of time, and we got some real good stuff out here, I think. And uh, and I'm sure that uh, I'm sure that my listeners are going to appreciate every moment that I have on the air here with uh, with you. Well, I've appreciated. I just wish we we could we could have more time to talk. But you can you can just tell them of these various places. I think of Siddha Yoga meditation. Meditation is a very powerful healing device. Yes, it is. Uh, been around for a long time. It's still very effective. And then what's happening at, at HeartMath, what happens uh, in, in the Waldorf and the extensions of Waldorf and so on. Hey, Joe, um, there's one last thing that I wasn't really able to touch on, but I'd like just to, to, just to mention it uh, just at the end of the program here because I think it is so significant, and we really haven't talked a lot about it, but this, the connection to nature and the natural world and uh, um, as we've lost the connection to the heart, um, similarly, in my opinion, 
we've lost our connection to nature and the natural world. And I, and I know that you think that that is also a real big part uh, of this unfolding of, uh, and, and uh, awakening of intelligence. Well, I, I refer to the bond, you know, the bond between mother and child at birth and then the bonds between the child and the family. And very significant bonds take, between the, uh, uh, take place between the child and nature itself, the world out there, the living environment around them. And these are profound bonds. And we're probably, we're not the first, but we're, we've had the most, most significant break with nature within the past two or three centuries of any period in history. Right. And it, it takes a toll. Uh, a part of us is missing because we're we're an integral part of this whole natural scheme of things, and uh, to miss that bonding period, which can only take place by the child having ample exposure to nature and left in nature <laughs> sufficiently, there in in uh, in Europe there's a big movement called the uh, forest kindergarten, and they're taking two to five year olds out to a specific forest area and simply leaving them hmm. several hours each day and it's making a profound change in them because they're able to, to, to properly fill in that specific part of the developmental process. Right. It really goes on so certainly beyond age five but that's the main, the main part of this bonding with the earth and if, we're, if we've lost that that means part of our neural structure is simply undeveloped Right. And so we're compromised right from the beginning. So the business of, of bringing children, children up in a completely artificial environment with nothing but electronic stimuli is, and so forth uh, is, is a disaster. Right. And, we're, and we've only seen the beginning of the disaster because then we're oblivious to our effect on the living planet itself. And we're right now we're in the middle of what has been called the, the greatest um, um, uh, species, what do they call it? Um, uh, obliteration, wipeout, an extinction, yeah. extinction, yeah. the greatest extinction period since probably the dinosaurs disappeared. Y yep, and we're involved in it right now. We've already lost, as you know, a profound <laughs> amount of living creatures on the earth within a 50-year period. And right. the rate we're going, um, it'll, it'll, it'll come far worse. So all of that is the result of, of simply our own break in the natural scheme of things. And that's a break with a heart. Wow. All right. Well, that's a great place to, to end, our inter yes. end our interview, Joe. I have to leave it there, Mike, and I, I can't thank you enough because it's a great subject you're, you're into and more power to you in what you're doing. Well, I'm going to get it out there and get this message out to as many people as will listen to me, and I would uh, graciously like to uh, uh, request that maybe at a future date, and uh, no, no, uh, no strings attached, that you and I might be able to talk again and, and, uh, and, <laughs> and put some more of this information out there. I hope I still have a telephone. Well, I think you're going to have a phone. I think you're going to be around for quite a while longer. So. We'll see. Thank anyway, my, uh, thank you very much, Joseph. And uh, sure. uh, I, I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. I don't. Thank I'll, you very I'll talk much. to you again. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Okay. There you have it. That was my interview with Joseph Chilton Pierce uh, just from a couple of weeks ago. Talked to him. Actually, did, yeah, but about uh, 10 days ago, and I hope you enjoyed it. Um, I'll come back in about uh, just a few minutes and open the phone lines up. Anybody who's interested in uh, talking about what they just heard, you're more than welcome to give me a call and let me know what you thought about it. Uh, maybe you could um, 
give me your opinion or if you have any questions I could uh, discuss it with you so uh, in any case Joseph Chilton Pierce that was an interview that I was real happy to do and I was real pleased uh, because it's real important information that Joe was putting out there and he's been doing it for a long long time and uh, the stuff that he was uh, talking about in the 70s is now today just becoming more accepted in uh, in the mainstream uh, and uh, he is uh, way 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 ahead of his time and so I'd encourage uh, everybody out there with kids to uh, to listen to what Joe said and if you want to hear any of this stuff again um, you can uh, listen to this interview on the web archived at www.radioorbit.com r-a-d-i-o-r-b-i-t dot com just go to the archives page and um, I'll have this up in a day or two and uh, you can go back and listen to it again if you like because there is some real important information in there and um, uh, so anyway Joseph Chilton Pierce on Radio Orbit KOPN 89.5 this is Mike Hagan and uh, we got about a half hour to go we got Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum coming up in uh, just a uh, uh, about 35 minutes or so and uh, Carol will be playing lovely music for you as she does every Sunday morning on her program and in the meantime I'll play a little music myself uh, this is a gentleman one of my favorite artists and uh, recently had a uh, had a child a daughter and we've been talking about children tonight and uh, so uh, this is a song called Moonchild it's by Chris Cornell off his CD called Euphoria Morning from a few years ago anyway congratulations to Chris and I uh, uh, hope you uh, Hope you know a little bit about Joseph Chilton Pierce. <laughs> Take care.
Radio Orbit, KOPN. This is Mike Hagan. It's 4.30 a.m. on October 24th, 2004. If you were lucky, uh, you were awake and just heard the interview that I did a couple weeks ago with Joseph Chilton Pierce. We talked about child development and um, uh, the brain and the mind and the heart and lots of interesting stuff. And uh, if anybody uh, has any questions about that stuff, comments, or would like to hear it again, like I say, uh, two things. You can send me an email uh, anytime you like at orbitradio, O-R-B-I-T-R-A-D-I-O, orbitradio at AOL.com. You can also go to the website, www.radioorbit.com. Uh, there's just one O in the middle there, R-A-D-I-O-R-B-I-T.com. And you can email me there from the website, or you can go to the archives and listen to any of these past programs. Uh, also, you can call me here at the station if anybody's interested in uh, talking about what they just heard. The number here is 573-443-8255. You can call me and I'll put you on the air and uh, let you air your opinion or your thoughts or comments on uh, the ideas that were just presented tonight. Also, um, if you have any, uh, uh, any other concerns and you ever need to get a hold of me in the studio, you can always call at 573-874-5676 or 1-800-895-5676. It's interesting uh, that uh, we... Just had the interview tonight with Joseph Chilton Pierce. Um, I wasn't particularly planning on airing it tonight, but I read a uh, story in the news today that was uh, particularly fitting with that uh, interview. And it, uh, the name of this article says, It's Official TV Linked to Attention Deficit. And uh, uh, if you're interested in this, again, you can go to my website and just send me a message, and I'll, I'll forward you the uh, source information for all this stuff. But it's a legitimate article that came out of white.org. So anyway, um, a study from the American Academy of Pediatrics shows... Now, where have they been, by the way? Uh, I want to mention that you know the stuff that you're going to hear right now in this official-sounding news report uh, is stuff that Joseph Chilton Pierce was talking about over 30 years ago. Okay, so where have these people been? In any case, uh, a study from the American Academy of Pediatrics shows that watching videos as a toddler may lead to attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, uh, also called uh, ADHD, uh, ADD, blah, blah, blah. Um, TV watching rewires an infant's brain. I want you to listen to what I'm reading and keep in mind what you just heard Joe Pierce talking about a half hour ago with the, the physiological, neurological effects of the television on the brain and not the content of what's on the television, the physical device itself, the nature of the device itself. Okay. Um, in any case, TV watching rewires an infant's brain says Dr. Dimitri A. Christakis, lead researcher and director of the Child Health, uh, Child Health Institute at Children's Hospital and Regional Medical Center in Seattle, Washington. The damage shows up at age 7 when children have difficulty paying attention in school. Now, that's a generalization that the damage shows up at age 7. We know the damage shows up uh, sometimes much earlier than that, maybe later, who knows, but the damage is there. At least they're admitting that. So. In, contents, uh, in contrast to the way real life unfolds and is experienced by young children, the pace of TV is greatly sped up, says Christakis. His research appears in the April 2004 issue of Pediatrics. Quick scene shifts of video imaging become normal to a baby when in fact it's decidedly not normal or natural 
Christakis says, exposing a baby's developing brain to videos that may overstimulate it, causing permanent changes in developing neural pathways. Now, does that sound familiar? Does that sound exactly what we were just exactly like what we were just talking about? Okay, so they're finally admitting it, um, which is wonderful. Uh, uh, and uh, the problem is, we'll just have to see how much press this gets. The fact that you're hearing it here on Radio Orbit doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, uh, the fact that you're hearing it here, in fact, probably means that you're not going to hear it anywhere else. Um, in any case, uh, I'll go on with this and uh, try to keep my commentary to a minimum. But it's... Uh, um, something that I feel very strongly about. So, in any case, uh, also in question is whether the insistent noise of television in the home may interfere with the development uh, or inner speech by which a child learns to think through problems and plans and restrain impulsive responding, wrote Jane Healy, a psychologist and child brain expert in the magazine's commentary. Even a child playing with its own fingers has the neural patterning that comes from bending, flexing, stretching, and grasping. Scientists now tell us that the brain develops in completely unique ways between birth and three years. Again, something that Joe Pierce has been telling us for 40 years. As a kid, uh, as a kid, as a kitty a baby sits mesmerized. Neural paths are not being created. This is not particularly true. I will add that there is a neural path being created, but it's the same pathway that keeps getting repeated over and over and over. Regardless of what's on the television, the same pathway uh, just continues to be utilized. So no new pathways get, uh, get built. It's just this one, uh, and it substitutes for all the other ones. Um, uh, in any case, uh, this is a crucial brain development that stops by age three. You don't want to think that something as innocent as a half hour's peace and quiet could reduce your kid's chances later in life, says Claire Eaton, a 27-year-old mother from Lewisham, Australia. Our parents who use infant videos such as Baby Einstein and Teletubbies putting their children at risk for a lifetime of special ed classes, school behavioral therapy, and Ritalin, in the study of more than 2,000 children, Christakis found that every hour watched at age 1 and age 3, the children had almost a 10% higher chance of developing attention problems that could be diagnosed by, uh, as ADHD by age 7. I'm going to repeat that. Christakis found that for every hour watched at age 1 and age 3, the children had almost a 10% higher chance of developing attention problems that could be diagnosed as ADHD by age 7. A toddler watching three hours of infant television daily had nearly a 30% higher chance of having attention problems in school. Now, if you remember, Joe Pierce mentioned a statistic that by age 5, the average American child has watched 5,000 hours of television. And my pause is on purpose to understand the implications of that along with this article. Now, this is coming from the American uh, uh, the, uh, the American Pediatric uh, uh, Academy. So uh, what else do we have to hear about uh, the television and our children, not to mention our own selves? Um, Parents take away crucial life experience from their child every time they pop in baby Einstein, but they do love how it takes the baby out, the baby out of their hair for a while, 
listen to what parents say in testimonials about infant videos. And I'll talk about that in a second here. Um, but again, I just want to make it really clear uh, that it is not the content that is the problem. It is the device itself that is having these uh, neurological effects on the development of the child's brain. So that's the important thing to realize. It's not the content. It's the, it's, it's the device itself. So dump the TV, okay? Uh, here are some... Well, we don't have to go into comments that, that parents make about the videos. Of course, we all know they think they're wonderful because uh, they literally... Um, uh, they do exactly what, uh, what the TV does to everybody, and that is they put you basically in a catatonic state um, where your brain isn't trained on what's happening on the television. But the wild thing about it is that... Uh, um, as you watch the TV, like we were talking about before, it's just this one particular neural pathway that just gets repeated, repeated, repeated. And um, uh, I wanted to add uh, that one thing that we didn't really touch on too much in the interview that we did um, when we were talking about this, uh, uh, this thing, we didn't talk about the opposite and the thing that really is helpful and beneficial. And that's things like storytelling and table talk around the uh, uh, around the dinner table. It's another thing the television has replaced was table talk. Basically, people uh, don't talk around dinner. Uh, and I know I'm generalizing here, but there are a lot of people that don't. They have the TV on, uh, and um, that's in the background, and there's not a lot of conversation above and beyond that. So um, in any case, storytelling, when you read to a child, what has to happen, and what indeed does happen in the brain, is that the, uh, the stories... Uh, as you're reading them, this is a an audio, an auditory stimulus that enters the ear and uh, gets uh, uh, does whatever it has to do in order to get to the brain. And that auditory stimulus now uh, creates another phenomenon in the brain, in the higher centers of the brain, the neocortex and the frontal, uh, the frontal lobes. And what happens then is the words are converted to imagery. And this is the beginnings of imagination, and this is how the how imagination actually occurs inside uh, inside the mind or the brain of a child or an adult. And uh, without imagination, uh, of course, um, you're incapable of abstract thought. And abstract thought is what uh, is required for all areas of creativity uh, in the human species. So. Um, in any case, uh, as this auditory stimulus goes into the ears and into the brain, imagery is created in the, in the, uh, in the mind of the child through the story. And if you uh, look at the word imagination, the, the, uh, the root of that word is the word image. I-M-A-G. Uh, imagination. So this is the way we see things in our mind. In fact, our brains are 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 uh, almost exclusively uh, imaginary in nature. Uh, we use imagery. When I say the word red, the words red barn to you, you don't see unless you make an effort. Uh, the written words red barn in your brain. You you close your eyes and you picture a structure. Uh, a painted red barn, perhaps. Uh, so this is an image that is built in your brain, and it was built a long time ago. Uh, in any case, when you tell stories, all of these neural pathways uh, uh, begin to be formed and built by a developing brain. As the story is told, uh, the neural 
a little packet of neurons in one area of the brain will go over and connect with another pack on the other side of the brain and and they uh, jump back and forth and all of these new pathways are created uh, by storytelling and the reason is the auditory stimulus is present but the video or the uh, the, Im- the image uh, has to be created in the mind in the brain now the converse of that is the television where the auditory stimulus is provided but the image is also provided and what does that mean well it means that the brain and the mind don't have to create the image themselves it gets substituted by the image on the television and that's why no neural path uh, why no new neural pathways uh, at least no significant growth of neural pathways occurs when you're watching the television it's the same single pathway over and over again because it's the same stimulus uh, and image coming from the device and again it doesn't matter what's on the device so this is the distinction and the huge uh, difference that it can uh, make in the, the uh, development of a of a child's brain um, in something as simple as storytelling versus television. Uh, so if you do have children, uh, take that to heart and uh, pick up a book and read to them and let them use their imagination, let them build these images in their brains and in their minds, and let these uh, these little brains of theirs uh, get uh, uh, get more and more complex and more and more developed you know it has nothing to do with the number of nerve cells or the number of neurons inside your brain Uh, it is the number of connections between those neurons and those packages of neurons that makes all the difference Uh, and by doing things like storytelling and playing music and and uh, table talk and conversation and play all of these things are so important and so critical for the development of a young child uh, both physically emotionally mentally spiritually and uh, Joseph Chilton Pierce has done more um, than anybody uh, in my opinion to help that we've got somebody calling in so I'm going to bring them on the air real fast here Uh, good morning you're on Radio Orbit who's this Hi, Deborah. How are you doing? I had something to say, several different things in response to Pierce, but also with the children. And I have three sons. I have seven grandchildren now. <laughs> and um, my sons were raised for almost ten years without a television. They they were able to view television as a friend's house or a relative. Sure. But it was for the same purposes and to develop their imagination. And living out here in the country, um, it has just been, from my observations and understandings and, and my own response to nature, letting my children have that forest experience that you all were talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, not in the sense of being unobserved or unwatched, but just not interfered with. So that they can explore their environment as they get older and older and we have deep woods down the road from us sure. and all of us um, later when we were older and that includes me when I went through my second childhood um, we would take off through those woods and spend the whole day even into darkness but we would run through the creeks run down in the deep woods where the turkeys and the deer are and there's a big heron rookery that was down there with all these turquoise shells but we would spend the whole day down there or the older boys could go down by themselves 
and I knew they were okay and they would have a dog with them. But um, well, sure, you know, it's exploring that instead of this electronic environment you're talking about, and it made a difference. Yeah, it's you know, and I, I live in a similar uh, environment to you, I think, um, and it it's a whole adventure and uh, a, a magical world actually when you get out there the closer you look and as you start to interact back with that natural world and the environment like you talk about um, it's it's an incredible thing and it's and, and it's uh, deeply rooted in our psyche you know well, that's where you interface with those different fields sure sure and and nature all the different fields and the different um, mind forms and everything that's just out there the other thing I wanted to say was about the heart and muscle memories and when you have a heart attack, you know, what happens when you're disconnected or uh, I'm very prescient. A lot of that was, uh, I don't know, it just immensely amplified when I had the death experience. It's like it disconnected me from whatever this imposed consciousness is that we're in. And put me in touch with what I, what all of us should have been, mm-hmm. uh, wholly expanded, and it it does connect you with all these different fields, and so I would have these connections with with prescience, precognitive, all of that stuff. My dreams, um, all my research has gone off of all of this stuff since my death experience. But what also is interesting to me is my third child was still in me when I had that, and so he was affected somehow. Mm-hmm. And he has been frightened by his prescience, his dreams. I didn't know until he was older when he could verbalize and articulate some things. But he would, he said he just knew things would happen to him before they happened because of his dreams or some kind of a visionary capacity. Mm-hmm. Well. And I've had this too, but since I've had a heart attack this year, I will also tell you I've had a detainee experience that most people don't know about. Um, and that all comes off of the fact that I was accused of being a witch and put in a mental institution when you and Pierce were talking about that earlier, Mm -hmm. that people are considered crazy. This is what church people did to me. So um, having the heart attack and MS all together and all the things that are happening with me this year, I've had these things happen and it's disconnected me from uh, my dreams for quite a while. I've been struggling for several months now. They've started coming back, but um, my research, uh, a lot of stuff has been really affected, and this whole thing about the heart being a mind connects with Native American wisdom and and indigenous people's wisdom, but I just thought it was a question. What happens when you have the heart attacks? Well, you know, uh, it's a good question, and I I actually think about it... um, Linguistically, one of the first things I always think about is that it really is the words are more the words are as as important as the as the event. You know, a heart attack is is literally is more than just this pump uh, going out. Um, Mine came from inflammation from mm-hmm. the MRSA that none of the doctors, the hospital, nobody caught it. Mm-hmm. So it didn't do damage, but it did do damage in other areas in a whole different way because right. it was allowed to go on for months. Right. Well, uh, uh, you know, I'm, I, I really, um, 
I can't really speak to to the effects of, of of what it might do to you, but I can only imagine. And and certainly these uh, these things, the intelligence of the heart and the neurology of the heart, uh, is now um, like we were talking about with uh, with Joseph uh, Pierce, um, is now being borne out in the laboratory. And now we know that these things are real. It's no longer relegated to the uh, to poetry and mysticism and um, um, and uh, new age. Uh, hocus pocus it's real uh it's real stuff now so um anyway uh, we're getting to the end of the program here deborah but i appreciate your call as always and um uh keep listening thanks hey did you get the uh, little package that i sent you for uh, that uh, cd-rom hopefully you got it in the mail no in the last no it hasn't arrived yet oh. well you should have it in the next day or two uh, i sent it to Thank you. you i was going to ask you if you got around to seeing that movie uh what the bleep do we know you know i didn't get a chance to actually um well i looked for you because the bike trail it got really really cloudy like it was really cold and i came <laughs> in just like five minutes before it started and I went the second time, and it's like seeing a whole different movie. Well, I'm going to see it. My mind picked up different things. And I, 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 think it's, I think it's not at Ragtag anymore, but I'm definitely going to no. see it. I have a friend who's got the DVD, so I'll borrow it, and I'll definitely watch it, and we'll talk about it on the air here again. So anyway, got to run, and uh, thanks again, as always, and uh, take care of yourself. We'll talk to you soon, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, bye. All right, uh, this is Mike Hagan. You're listening to Radio Orbit on KOPN 89.5 FM. We'll finish off with a little music here. And uh, you've got Carol Greenspan and Jewish Spectrum coming up in just a few minutes, in about seven minutes. And until then, uh, thanks again for listening. Uh, uh, the website, one more time, www.radioorbit.com with just one O in the middle. You can email me at orbitradio at AOL.com. And um, uh, you can always listen to the past programs on the web. And I welcome your comments, uh, questions, and ideas uh, on the uh, Uh, on email and over the web. So take care of yourself. Thanks, as always, for listening to KOPN and for listening to Radio Orbit. I'll be back to you next week, and we'll be doing a really cool kind of lighthearted Halloween special with Kent Stedman live from Seattle, Washington. This is Mike signing off. Radio Orbit, KOPN. See you next week. Take care.